0: You are listening to Constructing Education in a Digital World with Paul Stephen Jennings and Tom Roedern.
1: Hank, hey, good morning. Uh, yes. thank you very much for joining us uh, on on the CEDW podcast. Uh, just a little bit of background: Hank, you've been you were taught in international schools all over the world before joining Shell uh, to run their education department. As such. Um, Shell has always obviously been an energy company first, but their involvement with their, with their internal company communities has obviously become, turned it into something a lot more. You have um, been involved with developing international primary curriculums back in the 80s and then defining the education for the Shell Group um, for the last, you know, going on nearly 20 years. How, give us a little bit of background as to how you ended up working for a for global corporation um, from an education background.
2: Yeah. Good morning, Paul. Well, thank you for the question. Um, it's very simple. I accepted my first headship of a Dutch international school in 1991 in uh, Lagos, Nigeria. And from there on, I had headships of international schools in Egypt, Brunei, and then back in the Netherlands, in The Hague, uh, where I was leading a large uh, international school and Dutch school organization. So it took till 2006, 2007 before uh, I could apply uh, to that job and uh, and the job became available and the rest is history, Paul.
0: Hank, could you add a little bit of colour to what um, life was like back in 1991 in a, a primary school in Nigeria?
2: Yeah, that was a, a, a very interesting situation, I have to say. Um, that That school was owned by a number of Dutch uh, multinationals. Heineken was one of them, Philips, uh, of course, Shell, and the dredging uh, company Westminster, uh, Westminster Boscades. So there were children uh, very, very international, uh, but uh, they all had at least one parent. That was speaking uh, Dutch. Of course, there were uh, palm trees and c- coconuts and uh, banana trees and and all those things. It Was a wonderful time.
1: I don't. I don't think I've ever heard Lagos described so pleasantly. Um, certainly in recent memory. <laughs> um, so, um, hey, hey, Just a, another quick question about the past, and particularly now. We're going to re- come back to Qatar a little bit, a uh, bit of local flavour. Michelle um, was involved with uh, opening a library here. Um, in conjunction with ISL Qatar, uh, we talk a lot about technology and the future of education on this podcast. How important going backwards is, is reading still going to be reading and writing with a pen and pencil still going to be in comparison to the future of, of education where technology is a big driver?
2: I think uh, also in the future, reading and writing will continue to be very important, Paul, because um, Uh, When you look at writing, it helps uh, children to develop their fine motor skills, but it has also uh, been quite a a lot of brain research. So it seems to encourage the wiring of the brains. Of course, more and more is going to be done uh, on a device. uh, But I think uh, at least for another 100 years, uh, we, we will require both skills. Also, like I said, very important for the total development of the child. Hank, you've sort of brought us forward to uh,
0: to starting to look at what people are doing with education now with devices. Um, uh, STEAM education or STEM education is a buzzword that has been knocked around the the education sector for an awfully long time. Um, Can you explain to some of our audience what it means uh, to include STEAM or to have a focus on STEAM and how important you think that is going to be in modern education?
2: It is already very important uh, because we are uh, surrounded by science and technology and and engineering and maths needs to be added to that uh, to do everything in the right way. Uh, The world is becoming more and more complex and uh, we need uh, creative solutions and many of those solutions will be through science, will be through technology and um, in that sense, uh, it is the four subject areas, or you can uh, add the arts. I think the arts actually are very uh, important, uh, especially when it comes to uh, developing creativity. So uh, those, those five subject areas uh, will become more and more important. Although I don't want to speak about subject areas anymore because uh, I think education is really now ready for a very different approach. Uh, a thematic approach uh, where children are going to be working uh, around a certain theme or like they have already introduced in Finland, phenomenon based uh, learning. Uh, so yeah, STEAM is going to be uh, a very important part of that, uh, Tom.
0: Can you just explain a bit more about the thematic approach um, uh, uh, to learning and where you see the subjects falling away and, and what you see as coming forwards?
2: Sure, it's you know it's it's uh, a realistic approach uh, that we have to follow, and uh, nowadays uh, you know the real world doesn't work anymore uh, with uh, all the time splitting into uh, separate subject areas. So there is a certain problem, uh, and that needs to be solved, uh, or there is a certain project and that needs to be developed. And uh, this is how we should present our education to children in the future. I know some of the good schools are, are doing that already. Some countries have already um, taken that uh, approach. But if you if you are honest and you look at the majority of of education taking place around the globe, it's still based on on a one hundred twenty year old model going back to the industrial revolution. And uh, we need to move away from that because it's not attractive to children, it's not realistic, and it's not useful. In that sense, uh, thematic uh, education, like we do with, with IPC, with the uh, uh, middle years uh, uh, curriculum, um, that, that is the way forward. And, and that will make children enjoy their learning uh, in, instead of finding it boring and dumb.
1: I think we've got we've got a we've got into the future already a little bit I want to drag us back into the present Hank. you you were I believe involved with uh, managing uh, the schools the shell schools in in Nigeria during the Ebola crisis in 2014 how is that pre- how has that prepared you and your team for dealing with the current situation that we're in
2: I think, uh, especially for our schools in Nigeria, it 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 really helped uh, with the COVID nineteen uh, crisis. They were, of course, immediately uh, looking in into the the good practice uh, that they did uh, or that they executed during the Ebola crisis. So uh, it wasn't difficult for them to uh, switch back again to online learning because that's exactly what they did in two thousand and fourteen, and. It, we also use their expertise to share with the other schools in countries like Oman, uh, Malaysia, Russia, uh, Brunei. And uh, it helped the whole group of schools uh, to uh, to make uh, a swift uh, move to uh, online education. Uh, and I'm really proud about uh, the group of uh, Shell-affiliated schools, the way they've handled this crisis so far. But don't forget, Tom and Paul, that uh, I have the advantage of having a multinational supporting the schools uh, and a multinational that has a reputation in the world for their outstanding HSSE approach, uh, HSE approach and HSSE records. So um, having such a professional organization that is every day, every hour focusing on safety uh, is, really, is really helpful. And uh, that makes it a lot easier uh, than, than when you are an independent school somewhere uh, in a remote part of any kind of the world.
1: Um, Hank, I wanted to follow that up because I, I come from a background of corporate IT and I look at the infrastructure that big multinationals like Shell have in place to run their corporate infrastructure. And I can only imagine that that must be a distinct advantage for you and your group of schools to have that level of expertise behind you. Do you think that's also been an advantage?
2: A big advantage, indeed. Um, And uh, parents who have children in the school uh, are, of course, employed by Shell, are employed by the joint venture where they are uh, seconded into by Shell. Uh, And all of them are wonderful people who are always prepared to immediately step in and help. And I think for, for, for many of the families it was not so difficult uh, to sit down with their children and help them with their learning but of course that is not a reflection of 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 of, uh, a normal society Uh, if you are somewhere in a deprived part uh, of a a city a big city somewhere in the world and you're sitting in a small apartment with three or four children maybe one of them having special needs then it becomes a, a much more challenging situation uh, then when you are in uh, in a in a private spacious uh, house somewhere in the world, and you have very uh, supportive parents who are actually used uh, doing a lot of work uh, online because that's what we as a company do. Hank, do you think that the the current emergency learning that.
0: Being seen across the world is sustainable? Or is what you're suggesting that it is only sustainable in affluent societies with digitally capable parents? How do you see this being rolled out as something for the future?
2: Yes, it, 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 it's going to be a huge difference uh, if you have to do this. For instance, in a remote part of Africa where there's maybe no internet or you do it in in, in uh, some of the uh, uh, in the Middle East, the European countries, uh, uh, North America, that is going to make a huge difference. At, at this moment in time, uh, I believe just under 50 percent of uh, children around the globe don't have access to the Internet. So then it becomes difficult to realize this. But. We don't have a choice, Tom and Paul. We are with our back against the wall. And the planet is been polluted by us uh, uh, in the last uh, seven, eight decades. And we have to do something uh, to make the planet cleaner. I was looking uh, last night at television at, at some of the research that they have done around uh, Schiphol Airport and Amsterdam here in the Netherlands. And uh, it is unbelievable, such a reduction uh, in uh, in terms of air pollution, uh, talking about uh, 70, 76 percent reduction of air pollution. And if you think about the carbon footprint that we all leave behind, also school organizations, then it, it's not a matter of do we need to do it differently? Uh, we have to we don't have to ask ourselves the question anymore we we are with our back against the wall so that's why i took the initiative uh, to start this think tank for the future of education and uh, was sitting together with uh, a number of uh, colleagues in the world of international education and and saying how can we both improve children's learning and on the other side also lower the carbon footprint And uh, if not only education, if all organizations in the world have that kind of uh, positive change of mindset, then we can do something about making uh, the planet uh, a cleaner place to live and uh, let it be sustainable for the next generations.
1: Hank, you touched on on the third world, or you touched on 50% of children not having access to internet uh, at home. And this is obviously something that's quite near and dear to, to me. My wife and children are back home in South Africa. We live in a, a small town where a lot of my son's classmates do not have access to internet at home. And mm-hmm. this crisis has hit them really, really hard. I've spent a lot of time with my son doing home you know, remote learning. I'm working remotely in Qatar, and he's sitting on, a, on Skype on a computer in South Africa. And we're doing remote learning together have you within your think tank and we we're gonna we're gonna spend a bit of time on that moving forward but have you considered how we as a as, a, as the Western world can help to get online education get uh, get this to to people that don't necessarily have access to the resources
2: yeah we have been thinking about this and and we have also uh, offered uh, our help uh, to any uh, jurisdiction so to any country that would reach out to us we would uh, love to give them advice uh, how they can improve. Now, I think such a global movement, because that is what we are trying to achieve, Paul, such a global movement will make uh, the authorities of a uh, number of countries, uh, first of all, think about um, where they have to put their money uh, and a better infrastructure uh, for uh, families in their countries. To have access to, to internet should become a priority. But what is even more important uh, for the Western world is not to apply the same economic model that we have applied um, until the crisis. And for this, even a bigger change of mindset is needed. You know, we should um, help each other, and that's what you do in a crisis. And we should look at uh, different uh, profitability models, uh, probably uh, lowering the profitability of commodities such as uh, all these devices and infrastructures that are needed for uh, setting up the system in such a way that more people have access to the internet. So we hope that this global movement will, will make authorities think what is a priority. And hopefully it also means that a lot of the multinationals that are in the lead uh, with uh, setting up uh, all, all the, inf- the infrastructure and selling all the devices and, and all the equipment, that they are going to be willing to take a lower profit than they do at the moment. Uh, to make it accessible for more people around the globe. Hank, in the, your
0: manifesto, it, you know, it, if all goes well, is going to reset education and reset the, the economic models used in education and possibly other parts of uh, of business. Can you give us a bit of background on how, how you pull the team together for building this manifesto? Who have you got involved? Um, Where are they all located and what progress have you made to get to today?
2: It was very simple. Uh, I used my uh, my personal network, which is a large international uh, network. Uh, I started connecting with uh, Paul Andrews uh, from the uh, Royal Society of Chemistry, uh, Cambridge University. Uh, and Paul used to be, uh, and you're gonna like this guy. So he used to be uh, the head of education for the uh, uh, Qatar Petroleum uh, Group. So he was based in uh, in Doha for a while. Um, and and we said uh, who are gonna who are gonna be useful uh, within our network, but also who want who who are sharing these ideas of of uh, you know uh, making um, education more attractive, letting children study a few days per week from home. It's inevitable that they have to come together in schools uh, for for socializing, for sports, for practical uh, lessons. Think about chemistry, for instance. So um, we then really tapped uh, into our networks. And uh, it, uh, there is a rich variety of educators from the Far East, uh, from North America, uh, quite a few more from Europe. I used uh, I I, uh, contacted my own education consultants who are based in um, well, one in South Africa, one in uh, London, no, Edinburgh, one here in the Netherlands. So in, in a very short period of time, we had a large group of 40, 50 people. You need to think about professors of education, some of the leading universities for international education in the world, but also uh, very passionate uh, head teachers, principals of, of uh, teacher training colleges. So, a rich variety of educationalists.
1: This is, I mean, obviously a, a, the exact kind of group of people that you would need to put something like this together. Have you considered obviously when this is a you will operate on a global scale as as head of education for Shell. How does your manifesto take into account different curriculums, different different jurisdictions, different countries, different languages? I mean, is this a one size fits all or is this going to need to be tailored from a country to country basis?
2: Yeah, it's a very good question. It will have to. It will have to be tailored uh, per, per jurisdiction. We, and you mentioned uh, Shell, Paul, Uh, this is not a Shell initiative. This this was my personal initiative uh, because um, I feel there is a need uh, that educationalists are standing up and are saying uh, now is a time for change. We had to change. uh, The change was imposed on us uh, because of the COVID-19 crisis. uh, And it would be a shame to lose the momentum. Uh, Lowering the carbon footprint is completely in line with Shell's uh, objective. The the company is heavily investing in cleaner energies, uh, in in solar, in hydrogen. They're looking at biomass. They're they're owning a number of uh, windmill parks um, in in, uh, lots of different countries. This is uh, an an initiative uh, of a group of uh, educationalists. And at at some point, and I hope it will really become a global movement, uh, and I, I see lots of signals around me that schools are taking uh, initiatives already you know, to, to do things differently after uh, the lockdown situation uh, has been lifted. But it, you need to think about a snowball effect. And at the moment we are there to give advice but at some point in the in the various uh, countries, passionate educators will have to uh, help their, uh, their peers and, uh, and this is how it hopefully will become a global movement. Hank, you said um, in there that you've already had experience of some
0: schools changing the way they will be delivering their education following this crisis. Can you give me a little bit of background about what it is that you're hearing, uh, what changes are people making um, that are in line with your manifesto and that you obviously wholeheartedly support?
2: Yeah, well, uh, I don't have to look far because here in the Netherlands, uh, children are going back to school, both in primary and secondary education. But uh, it's a staggered approach. Uh, Not all of them are allowed uh, into school. So. A kind of automatically, uh, we have arrived here in the Netherlands in a situation that we were envisaging when we were preparing the 12 action points from the manifesto. Uh, so here in the Netherlands now, children are studying a few days per week from home and a few days per week they are allowed to come to school. They are now suddenly in very small classes because they have to keep social distancing of one and a half meter. So. They are in classes with uh, ten maximum twelve children, depending a little bit uh, on the on the school and the and the size of the classroom. This is something that all educators always wanted. and now suddenly, uh, because of uh, the crisis, we we have arrived in such situa- a situation. and more countries will lift the lockdown or in the pro- are, are, are already. In the process of lifting the lockdown and will take this staggered approach so it's it's, is in a way a wonderful development uh, guys because schools are doing exactly what we were hoping that they would do but now the key question is will they will they be able to continue after uh, let's say globally uh, the virus is under control and things are a kind of back to normal. That is the key question. But there is uh, already uh, good practice uh, taking place in in a number of countries.
1: Uh, Just a follow-up question, Hank, on that. If we, are you engaging at all at the government level? I know from a South African perspective, the Ministry of Education would define the curriculum, number one, and, and also how it's delivered, how many days a year a child needs to spend in the classroom. That's defined in South African terms by the government. Are are you uh, with your team? Are you looking at trying to engage at the government level?
2: I have approached uh, the Minister of Education here in the Netherlands, but that is hopefully more uh, also from uh, promoting the manifesto. Um, But uh, yeah, I think think, uh, uh, several of the people in our team, I know... um, is one colleague in 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 the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi, who is uh, um, uh, speaking uh, at government level. Hopefully, in India as well. So yes, yeah, it's definitely the idea uh, to 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 speak to uh, politicians, to speak to the government, uh, and uh, let them also uh, become part of of these ideas. And hopefully, it will lead to change. What is the product going
0: to be? how is it going to how will you present the manifesto to uh you know a ministry of education? Will it be twelve action points or something
2: different? No, it will be the twelve action points because the twelve action points and it's not necessarily that uh, every jurisdiction would have to implement the twelve action points. That is a kind of impossible. You have to uh, look at the local context but it is a very good starting point uh, to have a conversation uh, with the schools in your country, with the uh, uh, leaders of all the institutions. And then it hopefully will lead to a positive outcome based on the local context.
1: Hank, when I, when I originally looked at the, at the manifesto, my initial thought was there will be a fair amount of pressure on parents. To supervise children, particularly younger children, uh, where we live in a world of, of two parents working or both parents working, how are we going to how are we going to make sure that the education from home does not put additional pressure necessarily put additional pressure on parents who, who might have to be a two working household.
2: Well, you can also turn it around. You know, why uh, why are uh, both parents working full time? Um, uh, it's a good question. You know, yeah, <laughs> uh, um, where uh, I think uh, raising children uh, is 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 a responsibility in the first place of the parents. Um, if we all start organizing our uh, life in in a different way, then uh, parents maybe can work a little bit less or at least work a little bit more often from home. And I do realize that there are professions where where this is more uh, difficult to realize uh, than uh, for others. But organize your lives in such a way that you spend quality time with your children while they are learning. We've also received a lot of positive feedback from parents who said it was really enjoyable. Uh, and it still is uh, to sit down with our children uh, and, and look at what they are learning and how they are learning. And, um, and help them with their learning. So if we talk about uh, a different economic system in the future, it will hopefully help every family to live a more happy life than they do at the moment. Because very often money is the big driver uh, for both parents working. There's lots of pressure Uh, you know, to uh, to pay the mortgage or to have enough money to go on holiday or uh, whatever the motivator is. And I think uh, we all have to look in the mirror and say uh, and and, and say to each uh, to ourselves, uh, is this really necessary? Yeah. Uh, Your children are are adults before you know it. My children are adults and uh, uh, they're not living with me anymore. It goes very quick, and, and there's only a very short period of time that you can enjoy them and support them. And I think this is another uh, positive effect of the COVID-19 uh, crisis. Many, many families have had a lot of quality time together, and uh, many families also are saying, well, we should organize our lives in such a way that uh, we in also in the future can have this quality time um, that we had during the lockdown. I I, I
1: couldn't ag- I couldn't agree more. I've been doing a lot of homeschooling, even though it is remotely. My children, my oldest son is in grade five and he's in South Africa, and I've genuinely enjoyed. It. I do probably an hour and a half a day with him um, yeah. during my working day. I find the time um, to yeah. to sit with him on Skype and get through his day, and it's been absolutely fantastic. I'm you've highlighted quite a few areas that we need to change. We're not talking about just changing education. yeah. We're changing um, the way companies are are driving profit. And we're also changing, trying to move away from our very materialistic lifestyle that we have developed in the Western world. So there's quite a lot of change you're expecting from humanity there.
2: That's exactly the the change of mindset that we are hoping to achieve. And only then the planet uh, will survive. Um, And um, uh, hopefully lots of people around the globe uh, start realizing this, this crisis has been teaching us a lesson and we should take it very serious. Hank, I'm gonna push you
0: forward to to a bit more of expand your imagination for us. Um, We design and build schools uh, in and around the region. And the question that I ask the, all of our interviewees so far: How do you imagine a school that you would walk into in 10 years' time? What what can you see? How what does it look like? And what are the, how are the children engaging with their surroundings? That is different to today.
2: First of all, the 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 the, the design of the school has to be very different because the uh, the school has to become a, a kind of centre for learning. A place where children are coming together uh, and it has to be attractive. They have to be very keen to come to school because nowadays there are so many exciting things that they can learn from their devices. But um, of course, uh, they are then uh, uh, sitting on their own. So, the, the school of the future will have to be a learning center. And I can very well imagine that. Lots of old school buildings uh, are not going to be needed anymore uh, because the children are only coming out a few days per week to this learning center, or maybe there's a better word for it, but I call it learning center uh, at the moment. And uh, and they need to be thrilled in the morning when they wake up and say, and today we are going to the learning center uh, because that's where they are meeting their peers. That's that's where they are doing nice and useful activities they're gonna do sports they're gonna sit together debating about a real life uh, problem or a le- real life project and it 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 has to be very different uh, from what it is at the moment and one thing that um, hopefully will have this uh, has has disappeared by then are our tests uh, because uh, at the moment a lot of children are studying uh, day in and day out to get good exam results. And there's always going to be a need to have some kind of measurement of where are you. Uh, But let's be honest, guys, uh, I've been uh, learning a lot of stuff in the past uh, and I've been uh, sweating over over my exams, uh, a lot of uh, information, a lot of knowledge that I have never needed in my life. Uh, So I hope we can move to a system where it's all more based on reality, uh, practical, real-life situations where we ask children, how are you going to solve this? And then we can still see if they have the right knowledge, skills, and understanding uh, to bring it to a good solution. So uh, that's how I hope that uh, the future situation of schools slash learning centers Uh, will look, it it has to be attractive uh, and children should be very uh, uh, keen to go a few days per week to the learning centre. Hank, in
0: 1991 you were in Lagos running an international school um, which led to numerous headships before you joined Shell. Your experiences in running education and developing curriculums has led to driving Shell's education offering globally. Today, with just under 50 percent of children around the world not having access to the Internet, the world has to change to adapt to the environmental emergency that we face. The Covid crisis is the perfect launchpad to make this change. Paul Andrews from Cambridge University and yourself got together to create a think tank to deliver a manifesto for the future of education. With 40 to 50 leaders of education behind the manifesto, it's sure to make great roads in improving both education and lowering carbon footprints at the same time. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been fascinating to hear um, what you've been up to with your manifesto and the think tank and to discuss the future of education.
2: It was a pleasure talking to you, gentlemen.
0: Thank you for listening to Constructing Education in a Digital World. We look forward to you joining us for the next
2: episode soon.